Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, I would uh, invite you to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're still in 1 Thessalonians, and uh, when we finish 1 Thessalonians, uh, we will be going into 2 Thessalonians. So we're staying in the Thessalonians for a while. 2 Thessalonians is quite short, and uh, will be a lot of similar topics, a lot of talk about the, uh, the end, a lot of talk about eschatology, again, just a big fancy word for the last things, the return of Jesus, uh, the resurrection from the dead, judgment, glory. Um, when we get to Second Thessalonians, we'll get into some interesting things like the Antichrist and uh, some other things and some very difficult uh, things to understand, but uh, tonight we'll be looking at First Thessalonians chapter 5. Uh, verses 1 through 11, and if you're using a pew Bible, uh, you can find this on page 1,257. So again, First Thessalonians, starting on page 1,257. And God's Word says, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers. For that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word, would he write its truths on our hearts and be with us this evening. Well, uh, one thing that when I came down here to Dillon and met uh, Pastor Matt and we talked about sermons and preaching and so forth, one thing that I appreciated from Matt is that he did not, uh, he has basically the same view of sermon titles that I do, uh, which is that they're... uh, not really helpful or needful or anything. And uh, so uh, I, <laughs> when you go to do pulpit supply and preach a sermon, some people put a huge premium on what you're going to title your sermon. And a lot of you know from writing papers and doing other things, essays, that your title, a lot of times, at least for me, I would end up having that be the last thing that I would do because a lot of times I want to look at what the overall flow of what I wrote is and then at the end put that up there. And sometimes... Uh, back when I was in seminary and so forth, I'd get a call to go preach somewhere, and they'd want to know right away, what is the title of your sermon? 
And of course, when you give them the title, you feel like you have to stick to that, even though God might open up different avenues that you want to go in that text. But thankfully, uh, Matt usually just has copied down, uh, here it says the day of the Lord in this Bible, but I think in our, our uh, bulletin it says concerning the times and seasons. Uh, this is one situation where I kind of wish that I did give a sermon title uh, for this sermon, because I think I have one that would fit uh, quite well uh, this section of Scripture. Now, a lot of us have probably heard the motto or the phrase before, Semper Fidelis, Semper Fi, Semper Fi, do or die, not a Marine, but no, you're a Marine, Semper Fi, I was thinking Army for some reason, but Marine, Semper Fi, always faithful, correct, okay, always faithful, Uh, most of us have probably heard that before with the Marines, however, and that's a true and great motto, true model for the Christian church, and of course the one who is always faithful, Uh, is the Lord himself, but we seek to be faithful. Uh, However, there's another motto that I'm not sure uh, I had never heard before, but uh, is Semper Paratus, or Semper Paratus. Have any of you all ever heard that before? Okay, well, Semper Paratus uh, is always prepared or always ready, and that's actually the Coast Guard's motto. And I think Semper Paratus here uh, is a good description of what we see here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, that Christians, believers, uh, know that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return. We do not know when. We see explicitly that we do not know when. Nobody knows when. But we do know that the Lord is going to return. And therefore, in light of that, we are to be ready, semper paratus, We are to live lives where we are ready for the Lord to return at any time in our lives. Uh, That is how we are to live, and that is what the Apostle Paul uh, encourages uh, the Thessalonians here in uh, this passage, in this letter. Now again, you remember, and we've gone over this so many times, so I'll just very briefly uh, remind you that Paul was run out of Thessalonica. When he had gone there, the Jews ran him out of town. He was only there for... Three Sabbaths, we're told in the book of Acts, Acts 17. So he was there for a very short period of time. And uh, Titus and, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Timothy and Silas were only there. Uh, Well, we're not exactly sure how much access they had to the church. But again, uh, the church had very bad doctrine, had very uh, wrong understanding of several things uh, that have to do with the Christian life and basic Christian doctrine. And many of those things had to do with the return of Christ and things, again, that, are, that fall under the whole category of eschatology, really just the last things, what happens uh, when Christ returns and what happens to us when we die. And other questions, we've already talked about what happens to loved ones when they die, what happens to our loved ones now, those who are believers when they die, and will they somehow miss out on Uh, the resurrection, or will they miss out on Christ's second coming? Uh, Are they going to be left in the ground? Or We're not exactly sure what it was that they are believing, but Paul had to to basically set them straight on that. And just as a little uh, preview, when we get to 2 Thessalonians, we're going to see they have other questions that they're wrong with uh, in terms of the second coming as well that Paul has to talk about again also. But again, for tonight... 
Uh, it's how do we, how do we Christians who know that Christ is going to return, and as we read, who know that we are going to be with the Lord forever, whether we're awake, that means whether we're alive when Jesus returns, or whether we're asleep, whether or not Christ returns after we die before he comes, uh, either way, we're going to be with the Lord forever. That is the sure, certain hope of the believer. So how do we live now as believers, knowing that Christ will return, that there will be a day of judgment, a day of the Lord, as we see here, uh, in which Christ will return and set all things right, judging the wicked and rescuing his people. And that is what uh, he gets to in our passage tonight. Now, Paul uh, does this in nearly every letter that he writes, and most of the Bible does this. And I would say the gospel is this way, where Paul will move from what is true. Sometimes people will say that Paul starts off with doctrine, you know, teaching, and then he moves on to application. You know, what does this mean for us? And I think that's, that's pretty true. That, that is the, the order he goes in. But I would say it's, he goes from the indicative, he goes from what is true to the imperative, what we are to do in light of this. You know, just like the gospel, God has done this, therefore now this is how you respond. Um, we're going to see Paul does this tonight. The, the gospel is not we do this and then maybe God will do this. It's God has done this. He has given his son. Uh, we trust in Christ uh, in light of God's love toward us. It's not we do this, 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 and maybe God at the end might let us into glory. It's God has done this and this is how we respond. Well, again, tonight we're going to see that because Christ is returning and because we are destined for glory, if you're a believer, uh, this is how we are to live in, uh, in the meantime. So as we even uh, get to uh, our first point, my question for us is, uh, do we live with the eager expectation of Christ's return? Uh, is it something probably more frequently that we're aware of, that we'd say, yes, I, I agree, Jesus is going to return? Uh, or is it something that we eagerly expect and hope for? And I would say if we are not uh, eagerly anticipating uh, Christ's return, that our expectations need to be recalibrated. Uh, because Paul very much, 2,000 years ago, uh, looked for the return of Jesus on this, this great uh, day that he will return. So, uh, again, uh, Lord willing, we'll be recalibrated somewhat tonight. So, uh, our first point we're going to look at is in the first five verses, verses 1 through 5, and it's the certainty of Christ's return. The certainty, absolute promise, guarantee that Jesus Christ will return to this earth. He will come again to uh, this earth in the same way in which he left. Now, we uh, confess oftentimes the Apostles' Creed in Hartsville this morning. We actually did the Nicene Creed, but it also has the a statement about, man, there's a fly that is, if you're wondering what I'm doing up here, there's, I think there's a couple in here because I see some other people doing it as well, but just get, if I'm going like this, because the fly. Uh, we all profess and confess that we believe that Jesus, who is born of the Virgin Mary and 
suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, or he descended to hell, but that he rose again from the dead and that he ascended to the right hand of God the Father. And from there, from there, from, he will come to judge the living and the dead. This is part of being a Christian. If you don't believe that Jesus is going to return, you're not a Christian. Uh, that is a central tenet of Christianity is that Jesus will return again. It is absolutely guaranteed and it's something that we all confess when we go through this, that the church has confessed. Jesus will come again. But it is also true that nobody, no one, knows the day or the hour when Jesus is coming. There is no one who knows when Jesus is coming. Uh, I've brought up before about when my wife and I, back in, when we lived in Arizona, when Harold Camping uh, had all the billboards back in, I believe it was 2011, uh, but uh, all over the place, and the exact date of when Jesus was coming. So he wasn't being just kind of broad, Jesus is going to come in the next 50 years, and sometimes people do things like that. And, uh, but uh, when I was a teacher back then, and uh, most of my students, I was not teaching in a Christian school, very much non-Christian school, it was alternative school. Uh, but I had students, they knew I was a Christian, they often asked me, Mr. Steger, what do you what do you think about all these billboards that say on, I can't remember the exact date, but it was something like October 4th, I think it, I think it might have been. Uh, and it would say, October 4th, Jesus is returning. It was all over the city. And um, I'd say, Mr. Steger, what do you think about that? And I would have to kind of say, well, you know, the Bible says that uh, no one knows the day or the hour, so I know that he's wrong. Uh, he's picking it. He, there's no way he can tell. Uh, the Lord tells us that nobody knows in his word the day or the hour. Uh, however, I would have to, and I still would, uh, try to then uh, stress the fact, not for them to mock this idea that Jesus is coming because you have somebody who thinks he knows the day and he's wrong, um, but the fact that Jesus absolutely is going to return. Again, whether or not Jesus is going to return is not up for debate. Jesus is going to return to this earth. Now, again, when exactly that's going to be we're told explicitly in the scripture several times that nobody knows. But again, since we know it could be soon, it could be very soon. Uh, it could definitely be in our lifetimes. Um, it could also be a thousand years from now. Uh, there have been several date setters and, and people throughout church history that have been convinced that Jesus was going to return in their lifetimes. Uh, and I do not want to say in any way that it could not, that there's some way I know it won't be during our lifetimes. It most assuredly could be. Uh, but either way, uh, either we will be here when he returns, as Paul gets to, or uh, we will meet him after we die, and we will still be part of the second coming as we will join those who are asleep, uh, and we will not be preceded by those who are awake when he returns. So we need to live uh, always ready for Christ's coming. Now, if you look at verses 1 and 2, uh, Paul says that the Thessalonians were fully aware that Christ's return would come at a time when people are not expecting or knowing when he comes. So when Jesus returns, it's not going to be to a world that's just waiting for him to return. Everybody's sitting there with eager expectation of the return of Christ. In fact, the state of the world is going to be one in which people are denying any sort of thing like that. 
Now, what's interesting is the Thessalonians, with all the questions that they had about, again, big word eschatology, the last things, all these different subjects, about this particular question, Paul says he's confident that they know this, that people are not going to know when Jesus is going to return. In verse 1, he says, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. So the day of the Lord, this is going back to the Old Testament, this picture of this day when the Lord would come, God will come, and he will judge all the wicked and all of his people, the righteous, will leap for joy. You see this in all the prophets uh, in the Old Testament. And, uh, and the day of the Lord has really already started, in a sense. Uh, in the Old Testament, again, when we turn to the New Testament, we see the first prophet that was prophesied in the Old Testament to come before Jesus, John the Baptist. And he's talking about this great day that is coming. He understood this day of the Lord as, as it often looks in the Old Testament. And if you imagine looking at a, a mountain range, and you see the peaks of mountains from far away, this is usually how it's described. Some of y'all may have heard this before, but if you look from far away, you see a peak here and then a peak here. Imagine it's the Andes Mountains or the Himalayas or some huge mountain range. And you see these different peaks. And if you've ever seen where you can see a whole mountain range, it's very hard to tell oftentimes how far peaks are from one another. Uh, even in some of the mountains in Arizona, uh, even in the Phoenix area, you go and you hike up one, you see a peak beyond there, you're like, I'm going to go up to that one next. And once you get to the top, you realize, oh, that thing's miles and miles away. You can't really see the valley that's in between them. You just see the peak and then another peak, and it's hard to get perspective. That's kind of what it was like, we think, with the prophets in the Old Testament. They saw this day when God's people would be jumping and leaping for joy. They saw this day when God's enemies would be defeated and destroyed. Uh, they saw a day in which all the wrongs would be righted. Uh, they saw this day of judgment and of glory. But to them, it looked relatively like it was one day. So when John the Baptist shows up and he's preaching out by the Jordan River, and he's telling them that the Messiah is coming— He's talking about Jesus, the Lamb of God. Uh, he also believes that he's coming to judge the wicked right then. And you remember, remember your Bible, that John ends up in prison and sends to Jesus to find out what is going on, basically. Why am I in prison? Aren't you the Messiah? And you're supposed to, I'm, I'm one of the righteous, and I'm here in prison, and Herod, one of the wicked, is the one who sent me here. And of course, we know that John then eventually has his head cut off. Uh, but the day of the Lord wasn't really, nobody knew, when we read the New, none of the disciples knew, is that when Jesus comes, he deals with our sin issue. It's, it's one day, but it's really in two stages. When Christ first came, and he accomplishes redemption. He dies for our sins that we might be forgiven. And then, 2,000, 3,004, who knows how long after, Christ will most certainly come again, and that is when the end, the wicked will be judged, the righteous will be ultimately and finally vindicated, uh, the dead will be raised from their graves, etc. Uh, this is the term that Paul uses here when he talks about the day of the Lord. It's 
Again, very common in the Old Testament. And he says to the Thessalonians, with all their misunderstandings about the the second coming and other stuff, he says, you know that people are going to be unaware when it happens. So again, the Thessalonians knew this. We need to know this as well. We don't know when Jesus is going to return. Uh, Again, in verse 3, he says that people will be saying, there is peace and security. There's peace and security. And then sudden destruction will come upon them. The picture is of being taken by surprise. People are are trying to live or living lives as as normal. Uh, Things are going on like they always have. And when they're not expecting it, that's when Christ's return will happen. So there's not going to be some sort of cataclysmic thing going on where people are going to be expecting uh, Christ's return. Now, I I should uh, stress that the world, I'm not talking about believers here, but uh, when we're talking about the lost world, they will not be expecting Christ's return. Now, they'll be saying things like peace and safety. This does not necessarily mean that there will be peace and safety throughout the world, that everything will be some sort of golden age or something like that going on. But again, this will be the the common sentiment amongst most people. We can look in the Bible to things like Pharaoh when all these judgments are going on, and Moses and Aaron come and they do certain judgments, and even the ones where his own magicians are telling him, look, Egypt is getting destroyed. This is the finger of God. You need to listen to them. And Pharaoh, until the end, is hardening his heart. He said, no, go away. You know, this, this is fine. This thing's, you're doing some sort of magic, but this is not some sort of cataclysmic thing. Uh, this is what will be going on when Jesus returns. And this is kind of the same way we see this in our world today amongst unbelievers. And this is the way we all live before we come to know Christ, is we want the reality of God and the reality of things like judgment and death to be as far away from us as possible. Again, that's why we can go to a funeral and find out, when I found out, that uh, you know, they're, they're called quite often now celebrations of life instead of a funeral. Because we want to push away that reality that's going to come and does come to all of us of death. Because we're afraid of it. And if we're not in Christ, we should be afraid of it. It is right if you're not a believer, to be afraid of death and what comes after death. Uh, when I was younger, when I was uh, up until right a few days after I turned 25 years old, I was not a believer, but I knew enough of the Bible uh, where I was afraid what would happen to me if I died, just in case that whole hell thing is, is correct. And that's actually by God's grace that I had that in me, uh, that fear, because I was not reconciled to God. Uh, but when you talk about things like death and other stuff, there's some people you probably experience this yourself. You talk to people and, yeah, I don't want to talk about that. I want to push that reality away because it's a scary reality. But we're going to see for the believer, this is something that we do not need to fear. Is that Christ has conquered death, that we can face these things and not only not be afraid, we can even look to them in a sense with with eager anticipation, including this day of reckoning, this day when Christ returns and he will punish the wicked. But again, we don't know when it will be that Jesus will return. Uh, Christ himself, in, in Matthew chapter 24, 
uh, in the Olivet Discourse, talking about his return. I think he talks about both the, the destruction of the temple and when he will ultimately return on the last day. And he talks about what it will be like on the day he returns, in that time period when he returns. And he says, For as were the days of Noah. I've heard people before say, what that means is you know, there weren't many believers back then, and so there's not going to be many believers when Jesus returns. And it's often the case when you read anything, but the Bible included, uh, it explains itself as you continue on. That's not what he's talking about. Jesus says, For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For, as in those days, so the days of Noah, as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. They're living life just normally. People are getting married. Uh, People are eating and drinking. It's a normal way of life. That's how they were living when Noah was building the ark and doing all these things. Uh, We even read in the Bible that Noah was even preaching to them. People would come and mock him, I'm sure, as he built the ark. What are you doing building this huge thing out in the middle of nowhere? Uh, But he's building it, and he's preaching to them. He's likening this to his return. Uh, It will be like that, where people will be living like that. And as they did in Noah's day, it says, until they were marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. So they're doing just business as usual, you know, life forever is just continuing as it will until the day when he completes the ark. And he says then, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. So again, the point is that people are going to be unprepared and people will be surprised when Christ returns. Do not expect it to be any different. People are going to continue to live on Our world is going to continue to go on and explain away anything that happens, and we're going to eventually figure out our problems through education and better social programs and whatever else is going to be. It's not going to be, let us look to the Lord. It's going to be, we will find uh, the answers anywhere except for God. Don't talk about those things like death and judgment. Uh, But again, uh, the point is that they'll be unaware. But this should not be the case for believers. Uh, We, believers, the Thessalonians and us here in Dillon, uh, here tonight, we should not be unaware of Christ's return. We do not need to be ignorant about it. Now, of course, again, we don't know exactly when Jesus is going to return. And again, just one verse, in case you don't believe me, but again, back in the uh, Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24, Uh, Jesus talking about the day he's going to return says concerning that day or hour no one knows not even the angels of heaven nor the son speaking of himself that's a very difficult statement that has been debated for the last 2,000 years and still is today how is how is it that Jesus who is God doesn't know the day is going to return and you get into the uh, natures of of Christ the God man uh, but Uh, needless to say, if the angels in heaven nor the Son, but the Father only, he says, know the day or the hour when he's going to come, uh, we don't know either what day Jesus is going to come, and we don't need to know the day in which Jesus is going to come. We know that he is going to come. That is what believers are to know. He will return, and we are to be ready for his return. Again, our Coast Guard, Semper Paratus, our brothers in the Coast Guard. They're always prepared and ready.
and we need to be also. So since that's true, how do we live in light of this? The fact that Christ will absolutely return, whether in our lives or after our lives, but he's going to return. We will be part of this, this great uh, day of judgment. Well, we see in verses 6 through 8 how we are to live in light of this reality. Starting in verse 6, Paul says, So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. So Paul's already used a contrast between believers and unbelievers, between light and darkness, that unbelievers live in darkness, they are at home in darkness, they're in darkness not only in terms of sin, but also in terms of not knowing the ways of God, not knowing when Christ will return. Uh, But believers are in the light. We've been transferred. God has taken us from this area of darkness and sin and not knowing God and has put us into his family, into his house, into the light. And he uses this contrast. Well, here in verses 6 through 8, he moves to another contrast, which switches to that of being sober versus being drunk, and that of being awake versus being asleep. I think it's uh, obvious here that Paul's not just being literal, uh, but using these as terms for staying prepared. Of course, uh, getting drunk and being a drunkard is a sin we see in the Bible, uh, but he's not telling necessarily just meaning that. I mean, obviously, he's not telling us with not sleeping also just that we're to be uh, insomniacs now, but it's to be aware, to be watchful for Christ's return. And that's easy enough, but how do we do that as Christians? How do we live lives where whether we live until tomorrow or just later this evening, or if we live for another 70, 80 years, how do we live in light of Christ's return? How can we be prepared for Christ's return? Are we to quit our jobs and go and on some mountaintop waiting for Jesus? People have done that in history. Uh, people have been convinced that Jesus is about to return. People have told him. Uh, is that what we're to do? Well, one way that we stay sober or stay vigilant is by staying away from the things that cause us to be drunk or to be sleepy or asleep. And again, here we're speaking of things that cause our hearts to grow cold towards God. Things that cause the the fire of desire for the Lord and the things of the Lord to be quenched or to be dimmed, if you think of a light. Uh, Whatever those things are in our lives, those are the things that we are to be very careful that we do not get ensnared in. Uh, You probably know, again, in in, uh, The Pilgrim's Progress, that great book by John Bunyan, but when Christian gets to Vanity Fair, again, he's making his way from the city of destruction where he starts off, and he's not a Christian, and uh, when he's converted and he's making his way to the celestial city, and he eventually has to go through Vanity Fair, and there the world is trying to sell him all sorts of things, things that look good to him. And as he's going on his way, he's being tempted on the left and on the right, and 
Uh, it's very much that situation with us and our lives is we need to keep our eyes, metaphorically, on the prize, our eyes on the end goal. Um, this does not mean, for example, right now, it's the summertime. I was in Hartsville this morning because the pastor there was on vacation. Uh, pastor Matt has just gone on vacation this afternoon. Uh, this certainly doesn't mean that people can't do things like take vacations. Uh, it means, rather, that what we do is we have the trajectory or the aim of our entire life aimed towards meeting and being with the Lord Jesus Christ, of pleasing him with our whole lives and living our lives so that if he comes at any time, including if you're on vacation, when it's within the scope of your entire life lived towards him, he will still say, well done, good and faithful servant. Again, vacation, a time for rest and refreshment. Uh, when God made us, where we need rest and refreshment, there's nothing wrong with a vacation. Now, if we're taking vacations all the time and doing other stuff, then we are getting wrong uh, doing something that we shouldn't. But there's nothing wrong with a vacation. But we should be living lives where when Christ comes, uh, we will be living a life and conducting a life that's pleasing to him. You know, John Wesley, you may have heard this before, but he was asked one time what he would do if he knew that this was his last day on earth. If he knew that he was about to meet the Lord the next day. Or, and uh, Wesley replied, at four o'clock, I would have some tea. John Wesley was very British. But at four o'clock, he'd have some tea. At six, I would visit Mrs. Brown in the hospital. It does, it, he did say Mrs. Brown also. But, uh, <laughs> so uh, he, I must say he took out his diary, his calendar, what he was doing, his schedule for the next day, and he was reading it. And he's going to have some tea, and he's going to go visit Mrs. Brown in the hospital. Then at 7.30, I would conduct a midweek prayer service. At 10, I would go to ben, bed and would wake up in glory. And the point is, he would do what he had planned out for his life because he was living in a way that he was living for God. So he didn't need to change anything about the way he's living. I talk to the students at Dillon Christian School sometimes about this. Um, the Bible does not teach for us to live as if Christ is going to return on Monday. If somehow supernaturally I knew that Jesus was going to return, say on, the, on Tuesday, on the 4th of July... Uh, say the school year was going on, or those of you who have to go to work tomorrow, I doubt you'd go to work tomorrow. I wouldn't go. Uh, if I knew it was somehow, this is hypothetical, we don't know, but if we knew Christ was returning on the 4th of July, I don't think you'd go into work tomorrow. I think you'd probably stay home with your family, meet with the church, do other things. So God is not telling us to stay away from our jobs and to live like that, that he's going to appear at any second. But again, that our entire lives are pointed towards living for God. And again, as we move throughout our lives and as we navigate our lives, when there start to be things that are pulling us away from Christ this way or the other way, that we recalibrate our lives toward God and again toward this day when we will meet him. Uh, Don Carson, uh, excellent Bible commentator, uh, I was very influenced by, especially early in my walk with the Lord. But he talks about this in the parable of the talents. Jesus teaches this. And he talks about a man going to a far country. He's going away for a long time. And, of course, he gives 
talents to different servants. A talent is a lot of money. It's equivalent to about close to half a million dollars. And he gives five to one and three or two to the next, depending on which gospel you're reading, then one to the next one. And tells him to, to be busy with it until he comes back. And let's say the master's gone for a few years. If somebody is doing business for you while you're gone, and you return after a year, and when you come uh, to see them, they're out swimming in the pool or doing something like that. If they've been busy at work, you're not going to be upset with them. You're not expecting them to just be waiting at the door every second waiting for you to come. You know, somebody's house watching for you. You're not expecting them to be waiting at the door if you just tell them, I'll be back in a while. But you do expect them to take care of the things you've told them to take care of while you're gone. Of course, if you come at night, they're going to be asleep. But they will have done those things. They've watered the plants. They've taken the dog for a walk. They've done all these different things. So we in our lives are to live lives where we take care of the things that God has told us to do. We're to be faithful to the local church. We're to be good husbands and wives and parents to our children and raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. We're to seek to carry out the Great Commission as a church. God has given us marching orders how we are to live our lives. You're to honor and glorify God in your profession, whether that's being a nurse or a teacher or a pastor or a mechanic or whatever that is, a housewife. You're to glorify God in what you are doing and live your life for God. But again, it's not this idea of you being terrified and going and selling everything and sitting there. It's living your life for God so that no matter when he comes, we're prepared and waiting for him to come. Now, for the Thessalonians, uh, this would mean facing persecution. They were facing persecution and and we're not facing persecution. persecution like we were they were in this country we're uh, here in america as i prayed earlier we've had the blessing of not having to face that Uh, but that could change it may not change but uh and i'm not a prophet again but i i would not be surprised if that changes but a lot of this is just living pressing on faithfully for the lord and continuing to stay away from those things that dull us to god and to his return. So what does all this mean for us? Again, I just have a few things. Uh, First for unbelievers, I'm sorry, first for believers, and then for unbelievers. If we look here, Paul says why we're to do this in our last uh, very brief point in verse uh, 9 through 11. This is why we're to live this way. For God has not destined us for wrath. If you are a Christian, realize that your destiny, uh, where you are going to go, is, is not wrath. There is going to be a day of wrath and judgment. Paul has called it that in the first chapter of this letter. But if you're a believer, you've been rescued from the wrath to come by Jesus Christ. Again, I just want to read this very quickly, but in 1 Thessalonians 1, talking about these Thessalonians who were pagan unbelievers, and he's talking about them And how they turn to God, uh, turn from idols to serve the living and true God. They turn from whatever idol they had. Now they're worshiping the true God of the universe. And verse 10 of chapter 1 says, And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. 
Uh, there is a wrath that is coming at the return of Jesus. But if you're a believer, this is a pretty, uh, this is pretty good news that we've been delivered from that wrath by Christ. Uh, again, when we look at the cross, we remember that's where my wrath was paid for. Uh, that is why I do not need to fear the wrath to come if we are in Christ. Is because Jesus already paid for it on the cross. So again, uh, Paul says here, uh, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, uh, who died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. And again, this is the hope of the Christian. If you die before Christ's return, all those who have died before us who are believers, uh, or if you're alive or if I'm alive when Christ returns, the ultimate hope of the Christian is that, and it's, when I say hope, this is an absolutely, absolute certainty that this is going to happen, uh, but that we will live with him. We will be with the Lord forever. That is the hope of the Christian. That will be with the Lord forever. And what do we do with that? We see in verse 11. We encourage one another and build one another up. Uh, oftentimes, the way that you encourage one another is pointing them to that which is to come. And that, again, is why Christians should not, as I said, we shouldn't live like the world, uh, but we also should not die like the world. Um, you know, it's really difficult with my parents as they go through this long, uh, I guess, sort of death. Uh, and, uh, but one thing I know, and when I, in particular, look at my mom, I don't doubt my mom. I know that my mom is a believer. And so I, even though it's sad and this kind of slow motion moving forward, I know uh, what awaits her on the other side is glory in being with the Lord. And uh, that doesn't mean it's not sad, and that doesn't mean when we go to funerals that we don't mourn, that's, as if that's some sort of Christian thing not to mourn. No, we do. But we do not mourn as the world mourns. Uh, when somebody who's a believer dies, they really are going and enjoying their best life then and forevermore. So again, we encourage one another. That's how we're able to be wronged by people and be able ultimately to turn it over to the Lord. Even when somebody's done something to you that's wrong and, uh, you know, if there are legal ramifications, I'm not saying that we don't uh, go to the authorities or anything, but somebody just says something nasty to you and they won't apologize or do whatever, the and the, the way we're able to not go and, and take vengeance ourselves and get them back is ultimately we want them to repent. But we also know if they don't that there is going to be a day of reckoning. Uh, we can leave it up to the judge of souls who judges rightly. God will not forget. As I said before, every sin that's ever committed will be dealt with either by Christ on the cross or by people in their own judgment in hell. Uh, that, again, is why we're able to endure. That's how, why the Nigerian Christians, who are literally killed to this day for Christ, are able to endure and even pray, and they do. When they ask for prayer, they don't ask that God will take the persecution away, but that he'll give them grace to not fall away and be faithful to the end. So again, for believers, we encourage one another with this truth. This time, this veil of tears is not the end. We're going to make it to that next peak. Uh, and we have glory beyond anything we can ever imagine before us. Uh, but at the same time, 
it is a massive warning to anybody who is not a believer. Uh, there is a day of judgment that is coming, a day of wrath that is coming. And it will be not a good day for uh, unbelievers. It will be a day of judgment and wrath. And as Paul describes it, a day of being facing eternal punishment away from the presence of the Lord. Uh, what we desire to be in God's presence with him forever. This will be a reality for Christians that we begin now by faith through his spirit, having communion with God that will only get greater and greater through all of eternity. But for the unbeliever, their distance from God, their distance from God and his favor, but their continued judgment will continue for all of eternity as well. And that is a horrible fate, but a just one that awaits unbelievers. And again, that should be something that I have, I pray, am somewhat convicted by in my relative apathy for those who are lost, uh, is that they would come to know the Lord. Uh, I pray that we pray for unbelievers, that they would be saved, that they'd be born again and really come to know the Lord. And again, let us, uh, who are believers though, let us live in this glorious freedom, this freedom that I, I first experienced when I was converted almost 20 years ago now, uh, when I realized, and, and again, not a, a well wish or just wishful thinking, but knowing if I were to die, I would actually, the reality is I would be in glory right now with the Lord. So again, not having a death wish or anything like that. I know I talked about this recently, but it's true. The Christian does not need to live with this burden that other people do, where they need to push away the idea of death, this idea of judgment, this fear of hell, which are all very real, and people do anything they can to turn away from. What they need really to do is to face it and realize, I'm in trouble and I need help. And there is help in Christ. But for us who are Christians who have taken that help, may we encourage one another and live in the freedom that we have in walking, knowing that we're going to die or Christ is going to return. But that is when uh, we need not fear. We will be with the Lord forever uh, in glory with him. Now, praise God for his grace. May we live uh, lives that are pleasing to him. Uh, let's go to him in prayer. Our gracious Father in heaven, Lord, we... Thank you for the gift of your son. Lord, we thank you that you, um, we thank you that the gospel, the good news, is true. It is reality. Uh, that Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, uh, that God, the eternal God, becoming a human being while never ceasing to be God and being born of the Virgin Mary and living in, in Nazareth a couple thousand years ago, a sinless life and dying. Uh, on the cross for sinners, for the sins of all who would trust in him, and, and being raised from the dead physically, and ascending, and, and being alive today, right now, seated at your right hand, and who will most certainly return. Lord, we thank you that this is absolute reality. This is fact, and everybody one day will know that this is real. It's not just a story or some tradition that we've inherited that's not based in fact. It is the truth. Lord, we pray for those who do not know the Lord. We pray that you would open their eyes to 
see their sin, to see that they're guilty, not to look at their neighbor and say, I'm better than them, but to realize that they are guilty before you, that you are good, you are merciful, Lord, through Christ, that you offer forgiveness and reconciliation, that we can walk in the freedom of knowing that we're accepted, Lord, that us, that we are sinners, but you only came to give yourself for sinners, not for the righteous. The Lord Jesus, the righteous one, came and gave himself to rescue us, Lord. So we thank you that we do not need to perform or do this and that to earn your acceptance, but it's offered to us freely. Lord, would you help us, uh, who are believers, to rejoice, and would you help us uh, to go to our loved ones and neighbors that do not know you and and love them, and uh, Lord, to exhort them to be reconciled to you. Lord, we thank you that this reality we now live in is not the end, that Uh, the glory that we taste and experience through your spirit and communion with you is just a foretaste of that glory which we will experience forevermore. And Lord, we thank you that we can have absolute assurance if we're trusting Christ. This is not some uh, just well wish, but this is an absolute certainty that this is reality. Help us, Lord. Strengthen us as we go. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.